you know, <clears throat> when we were talking about prayer earlier, it brought back a memory of how important it is to be available to God at all times. It took me back to a few years ago, I was working in a hospital, <clears throat> and I was at this patient's room uh, dealing with her intravenous fluids, doing checking the rate was correct like that, and God said to me, pray for this woman. Now, I was a, I'd never done anything like that before, I was a bit scared. But I figured, well, if he asked me to do it, I'll do it. So I asked the lady, I said, look, I'd like to do something for you that I promise you will not hurt you. Will you let me pray for you? And she said, yes. So I prayed for her. And just before I left, she said, will you come back tomorrow? I said, yes, I'll come back tomorrow. A couple of days later, I got a phone call from a, a stranger in London. And she said, are you the person who prayed for my godmother on Tuesday afternoon? I said, yes, I am. She said, I just want you to know I was praying and fasting all day that somebody would go pray for her. Well, that made the hairs go up on my arms. <laughs> I'm not so sure I can be as bold this morning, but I'm going to try. What I'm going to speak on this morning is similar to what we've been singing about because the gospel never changes, does it? The main thing is God is our rescuer. Now, I don't know whether you think that, but I certainly can look back on my life when I first became a Christian and he rescued me in a way that I had never thought possible. And it changed my life. So that's what we're going to look at. God is a dependable rescuer. But I want to start out this morning with three questions. The first one is very easy. Where are we this morning? Well, we're in this building together, aren't we? Some people are joining us on Zoom. We live in England, although some, I think, are Zooming from other countries. Most of us live in or near Orpington area. So that question is pretty simple, isn't it? This is where we are. And the next question is a little bit more difficult. Where are we on the inside? The place that nobody sees. It's easy for us to put on a good appearance and a smile and seem to be okay for all those who are around us. But if the truth be known, it's possible that on the inside there's a mess and we need help. I wonder if any of you are feeling that need today to be rescued on the inside. And you know, I think if we're honest, we all can say that there have been times, in my case, many times, when I was needing rescue on the inside. Last June, I looked up, I was preaching here last June, and I spoke, because when you get the same message coming, you say, Lord, I've spoken on that once before. I spoke on God coming to the rescue. And we talked about various people in the Bible. 
And the last character that we talked about has stuck in my mind. I'm not going to ask if anybody remembers. That's a long time ago. But it was blind Bartimaeus, whose story is found in Mark chapter 10. And you may remember his story. I'm not going to read it. You may remember his story. I'll just give you a summary. While begging outside of Jericho, Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming his way. Now, he didn't know that, but that was the last time Jesus would have gone that way because he was going to Jerusalem for the last time. But Bartimaeus desperately needed Jesus. And if you remember, he called out to Jesus. And the people around him said, oh, be quiet, be quiet. That didn't stop him because he desperately wanted to contact with Jesus. And he was not going to miss the opportunity. So he kept shouting out to Jesus. Somehow, he just knew that Jesus would be able to help him. And he must have been overjoyed when Jesus called him. Now, scriptures tell us that he threw off his cloak and went to Jesus. And although we're not told what the cloak was, at the time I suggested the cloak could have been something very important. Why is it mentioned in scripture? It's very important. And I suggested at the time this cloak could have been a cloak of feeling unworthy or a cloak of feeling rejected by society or a cloak of hopelessness or maybe it was a cloak of failure. And as my mind began to think about that, I like to look up different versions. And when Jesus asked him what he wanted, he says in one version, lots of versions, it says, I want to see. He was blind. Other versions say, I want to regain my sight. When I began to think about that a little deeper, I began to think, I wonder if this man knew Jesus. I wonder if he was a person who once connected with Jesus and then went away and lost his sight of who Jesus really was. Whatever it was, he threw off his coat. Nothing was going to stop him to seek Jesus. He was desperate and was so glad that Jesus called him. And he received a dramatic healing of his sight. The blindness disappeared. But he was also rescued from an inner darkness that must have tormented his soul. He received from Jesus what he needed. And scripture says he got up and followed him. Praise God. So like Bartimaeus, we should never, never, never be afraid to call out on Jesus. He knows all about us anyway. And he loves it when we call out to him. Now, the third question, which may be difficult. Some of you scholars may know this. How many times do you think the word rescue 
appears in the Bible. Any, anyone want to suggest the possibilities? You can't say words fast because I told you. <laughs> well, according to Siri, does everybody know what Siri means? I'm an old timer, but I know what Siri means on my phone. I push this button and something comes up at the bottom. And if I ask the question, he'll speak to me. It's a he. Does it, is it a she in your phone if you're a woman or is it a she? Or maybe it doesn't have a pronoun. I don't know. <laughs> well, according to Siri, the ESV version, English Standard Version, uses the word rescue 64 times. If you are an NIV reader, you'll find it 84 times. But if you're a New Living Translation Bible, which is what I like to read, it appears almost 400 times in the New Living Translation. So it appears really that there are plenty of people in the Bible who needed to be rescued. So if we're, we're in good company then, if that's how we feel inside today, isn't it? Many other people have traveled that path of needing to be rescued. Now, just a little diversion. Was anybody here in the Boy Scouts? Okay. Did, did any of you do something called, um, we used to do in America, a merit badge? Did you do that over here? A merit badge in life-saving. Did anybody do that? Mike did it. Very good. I'm going to talk a few minutes about that. This is my visual aid. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I took this life-saving merit badge in a very awkward place. It was out in the woods near a lake. And the motto that we had was reach, throw, row, go. Reach, throw, row, go. And it's very wise because if you go to a swimming pool, you'll see there they, have a long, they will have a long pole with a little ring around it. So if it's possible, you reach for them with that pole and let them grab onto it and pull it. Now, that was totally opposed to what we would normally think. You jump in the water and go after them. But there's a good reason for that. Reach for them. The second one is you throw a life buoy. Now, this is my homemade life buoy. And I'm going to throw it out because I'm going to refer to it. It's got a long rope. <laughs> so this is it. I'm going to throw it out. I've got to use my left hand because I'm left-handed. And you always keep your eye where you're throwing it. You never take your eye off the person who's needing help. Okay. There it is. And on the lake where I learned life-saving, we had a rowboat. So if, if you have to, get in the boat and go after them. So that's reach, throw, row. And the last bit 
was to go after them. Now, I dreaded this bit. On this lake, there was a person in distress. I can remember today. The person wasn't allowed to say, help, help, because there were other people on the lake, and maybe some other lifeguards would have gone after them. But you said, scramble eggs, scramble eggs, scramble eggs. So you then knew that was the one that you had to go for. Uh, this was very dangerous because a person in that state is usually pretty panicky and desperate. So we were told you don't just go straight up to the person because they could pull you in. They'd grab hold of you and pull you down and your life would be ended. It would not be a lifesaver. You would be a lost life. I can remember doing it. I swam out there. I couldn't have been more than 15. I swam out there. And what you do, you go under the water. You go behind them. You work your way up from the back. You hold them with your chin like that and put them, start them, and they're squiggling. And then you take your arm over the top of them and grab them right here. So the more they squiggle, the more you pinched. And the more you pinched, the more it hurt. And so eventually, they let you take them to shore. I'll never forget that. I was so glad to get to the other side and get my life badge. Okay. That's just an example. But you know, scriptures tell us that many occasions, God went to the rescue of his people. But according to Psalm 81, they often refused to accept his rescue. They'd rather follow their own desires and turn to other gods. Can you imagine how this must have displeased God? When he released them from bondage in Egypt and set the, opened the Red Sea and took them through, you would have thought they would never turn against him, wouldn't you? But many of them did. So the final thing that he did was send his son, Jesus, to go personally to rescue them. Jesus would be their rescuer. And by dying on the cross, we know that Jesus provides an everlasting rescue to all who believe in him. And I love to read Galatians and Romans, Paul's letters there, because not only was it for the Jew, it was for the Gentile. So that means I'm included, and you're included. That's us, folks. Now, some people accepted Jesus, but many chose to reject his help. They'd rather stay in the religion they were used to, Nothing like this had happened before. It was a scary thing to do. They refused to submit to God. And you know, when you're talking to people today about who don't know Jesus, they come up with all kinds of weird ideas. And they will argue with you. But you know, if you have been saved, rescued by Jesus, they can argue all the theory 
and intellectual things they want to, but you can say, I don't care what you say, I know he's a rescuer because he rescued me. Can you see anything different in me? Am I, oh, such dreadful being a Christian monk. No, he's rescued me. He's rescued you. This morning, a couple of things about Psalm 119. I'm not going to read all 173 verses. I'm sure you'll be glad about that. But there was experiences in there of people who needed rescue. The psalmist who wrote this was desperate. And it appeared that he had wandered away from his relationship with God and desperately needed his rescue. I'm going to get this if I get the right one. Read a couple of verses to you. Verse 37 and 39 to 39 says, This is what the psalmist says. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise, which is for all those who honor you. Help me abandon my shameful ways. Your laws are all I want in life. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. I love that because he's being honest, isn't he? He's admitting that he's done things wrong. That's called repentance, folks. In verse 57, he says again, Lord, you're mine. I promise to obey your words. With all my heart, I want your blessing. Be merciful to me just as you promised. I pondered the direction of my life, and I turn to follow your statutes. He proclaimed that he belonged to God. In verse 67, he says, I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You are good and do only good. Teach me your principles. As you keep reading the psalm, it's a long psalm. It takes a little while to read it. But when you get to verse 81... The psalmist was told, we found that he had to wait a while. You know, when we want God to rescue us from situations, we want it instantly, don't we? Well, certainly I do. I don't like this waiting. But in verse 81, it says, I am worn out waiting for your rescue. I think I can identify with that. Have you ever felt that way? Waiting, waiting, waiting. Have you ever been tempted to lose hope and give up on God in those times? You know, the enemy will whisper all kinds of ear, things in your ear to try to dissuade you. How was a psalmist able to cling to hope? And verse 92 gives us the answers. He says, if your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. And in verse 116, he says again, Lord, 
Sustain me as you promise that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. Sustain me and I will be rescued. In fact, throughout the rest of the psalm, five more times he's pleading with God to rescue him. He wanted to get back with God. In the last two verses of the psalm, it says, Let me live so I can praise you, and may your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commandments. Have you ever been tempted to wander away even after you have accepted Jesus? If your answer is yes, don't give up on yourself. Your rescuer knows that you think that way. Listen to what he says in Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associated with such despicable people and even eating with them. So Jesus used this illustration. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 Others to go and to search for the lost one until you found it. And then you would be joyfully carry it home on your shoulders. And when you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors to rejoice with you. Because your lost sheep was found. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God. than over the 90 others who are righteous and haven't gone astray. So if you have strayed away and you feel like you're a lost sheep, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up. Jesus wants to rescue you. Now, I'll ask another question. Have you taken hold of God's life buoy? God's life buoy, Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe you don't think it was thrown to you. (coughs) Maybe the life buoy wasn't thrown for you. But that's not what the Word of God says. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, God wants everyone to be saved, to be rescued, even the worst sinners. This lifeline, this life buoy of Jesus has been thrown to all of us. Maybe you've taken home, take a hold of the life buoy. <coughs> Excuse me. But wonder, is he holding the other side? Thank you. <laughs> Don't trip over the life buoy. <laughs> I'd hate to have to rescue you, Mark. Thank you. You know, maybe you feel like there seems to be a bit of slack in this line. I'm here holding on to the life buoy, which says Jesus, 
but I don't feel anything. I don't know if he's there. You ever thought that he's maybe given up and dropped the line? That he's dropped his interest in you? I think we may be tempted to feel that way when we don't get instant answers. David felt that way a bit in Psalm 143. He called out to God and said, I am losing hope. I am paralyzed with fear. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me. There's hope for us all. The same promises in the word of God that David clung to is available to you and me. In fact, we have more promises than he did because he didn't have the rest of the Bible. We do. We will never, and this is important, we will never discover God's promises if we choose not to read them and meditate on them. The words of rescue that are found in the Bible. And Satan knows this and would do his best to distract us and discourage us. But we must resist him. We must resist him and take hold of 2 Timothy 3.16 and remember and believe this. All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. We need to be into the scriptures, folks, to get these promises of God. Now, the last scripture I want to mention, I think, is Psalm 91. Psalm 91 was a very powerful song when COVID started. I read it and read it and read it and read it. Listen what it says in the last few verses. Verse 14, the Lord says, and he says to you and me this morning, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. That means we're not going to avoid troubles. Scriptures tell us that we will have troubles. But he says, I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Positive words there from the psalmist before Jesus ever appeared. God speaking to his people. And my friends, if you remember nothing else of what I'm saying this morning, I want to remind you of this fact. God's life buoy, Jesus Christ, is for real. And as we started out singing this morning, He's alive. He's alive today. He will not fail us or reject us or forsake us. 
He is not filled with hot air like this one is. This one, I blew it up yesterday, and it's going down already. He's not like that. He will not fail us or reject us. The rope on this one is fairly long, but it has an end. But God's lifeline is long enough to reach anybody, wherever we are. Anyone who needs rescuing, he's there. And unlike this rope, eventually will rot away. His rope, his lifeline will never rot away. He's always there for us. And by clinging to him, we will be rescued. Now, if you've not taken, I don't know everybody here, but if you've not taken hold of God's life buoy, you can do what the psalmist did. Admit your problems. Repent of your sins. Be honest with God. And like Bar Bar Bartimaeus, he was full of faith and hope. He went to Jesus. So don't resist going to Jesus because you think you're unworthy, because you think you've sinned. 1 John 1, 9 is one of my favorite verses. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a promise worth hanging on to today? Especially when we blow it. An enemy speaks to me in tonight. Sometimes in the night I wake up and he, he reminds me of the sins of the past, of my failures of the past. And it can really dominate my thinking until I immediately think that, wait a minute, I have been forgiven. And God does not remember all those things. I am a new man in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Now, there's about three minutes left. <clears throat> and I woke up this morning with this going through my mind, and I debated and debated and debated whether I was going to sing it to you. <clears throat> but I'm going to anyway. I'm being bold now. I'm not like Chris who can sing away like a champion. I'm not. <clears throat> well, this is a song that I wrote several years ago based on Matthew 11:28, And I added a verse this morning. So I'm going to try to sing it to you. What I'd like for you to do is close your eyes. And don't listen to me, but listen to Jesus. <clears throat> Come unto me, all who are weary. Come unto me with your heavy load. Come unto me, all who are tired, and I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. If you come to me, put on my yoke, for it is easy. Come walk with me, I will lead the way. I'll show you how, I'll walk 
beside you if you come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest if you come to me. Please take my hand. I'll never leave you. Come walk with me. I will lead the way. I'll rescue you. I will provide for you if you come to me. If you come to me.